This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello, how are you doing, Jake? I'm good. How are you, Caleb? I'm all right. (laughs) We never have anything else to say to each other at that point, do we? No, we never do. (laughs) How are you? Good. We're okay. We might as well just not not do it. Just move on. Um, We'll cut it next week. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because this week we are joined by our first married couple on the show. Oh, I might put a little oh sound effect in there. I reckon. Oh, editing this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we are joined by producer Radha Mamadipudi and musical director and uh, composer Alex Beechin. Hello. 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 Hi. How are you nice guys? Oh, you know. We're doing it. We're doing. We're doing <laughs> the thing. That is just everyone's response. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I, I, how's know. How's lockdown three treating you? Have you Have you been outside recently? <laughs> Alex is making just in the last week. Alex has been making me like do exercise, and it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> I hate everything about it. I might ask for a divorce. Like, it's just the worst thing. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well, I mean, I guess going on walks during lockdown is a bit relevant because we're doing a film this week that has mm. a lot of walking around the city in it. In it yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's about what a guy a who walks around the city. I mean, yeah. It's got a, it's got a married not, couple in it, too. It's not, yeah. it's not my best. This oh, it true. does. Oh, that, and yeah. is that why you brought it to us? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, the film is uh, Midnight in Paris. Yeah, so Midnight in Paris is uh, a film written and directed by Woody Allen. Uh, we're not going to delve too much into the Woody Allen uh, art versus artist debate on the show this week uh the the film at the time though in 2011 was uh incredibly well received it made more money than any other woody allen film before it um it stars owen wilson rachel mcadams it won best screenplay at the oscars um and that's a bit of fun i guess yeah Um, i just i want to say on this whole woody allen thing that i have a very specific frustration with it which is that films are never made by one person and yeah, Woody Allen is a terrible person and we should not support his films. But there are gaffers and focus pullers and PAs and people who don't get the choice as to what movie they can work on who were told, well, if you work on a Woody Allen movie, that's a great credit to have on your CV, you know, and you have to, ha- and if you have that, you'll get the next job in a, you know, in a much better film because you've got that in your experience now. They don't get the choice. And yeah. I just think it's not fair to punish those people because Woody Allen is a dickhead. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like they already don't get enough recognition. No, and I think you've you've put it really well. And I think that it's it's definitely fair to say that we we can distance the work that all of those other people did from the man that is Woody Allen. Um, and in adapting it to the stage, uh, even hypothetically, we would be distancing it even further with a group yeah. of people that would be working on it for sure. So yeah, let's d- dive right in. Do you guys want to give us a rundown of the plot for anyone that hasn't seen it? Yes. Sure. 
Screenwriter Gil Pender and his fiancée Ines travel to Paris as a tag-along vacation on her parents' business trip. Gil is struggling to finish his first novel, which is about a man who works in a nostalgia shop, but Ines and her parents are critical and dismissive of Gil's desire to give up his lucrative Hollywood career um, to write it, and definitely don't share his romantic notions of moving to Paris after he and Ines are married. Gil fantasizes about living in Paris in the 20s with all his literary and artistic heroes. They run into Ines's friends, Paul and Carol, who are married. And in Paris, because Paul is lecturing at the Sorbonne, Gil doesn't like Paul. He calls him a pseudo-intellectual, and I think we can objectively say he's a pretentious ass. Inez goes off dancing one evening with Paul and Carol, and Gil takes a drunken wander around the streets of Paris, finds himself getting lost, and encounters an old-timey car at the stroke of midnight. This car transports him to Paris in the 20s, where he gets to meet his artistic heroes. The rest of the movie sees Gil moving back and forth in time between these two Parises. He meets a beautiful woman, wines and dines with the Fitzgeralds, Cole Porter, and gets his novel in front of Ernest Hemingway and Gertrude Stein. In present day, he finds himself increasingly dis- disillusioned with his life as it is, and gets more and more distant from his fiancée. Oh, intrigue. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> in the end... He decides to leave his fiance, but also learns a, a big lesson about how we can't live in the past. So, and we can't live with fiancés who end up cheating on you. Two two big life lessons. But also, you can there. replace. But also, that you can replace one blonde woman with another blonde woman. Yes. Well, and with a, and then with another. You know, there's there's three women that fall in love with our, yeah. uh, our protagonist I don't, in this film. Honestly, I don't see why Owen Wilson has never been that that attractive to me. I don't personally get it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it's the way he says wow, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. He, does, he does a really good one on the bridge. That's, a, that's the final scene. Um, and he does he does a classic Owen Wilson wow I just oh I love them all there's this thing you get the 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 ones that are like the the sort of that are they're given centered stage center stage like that but then you also have ones that just like drop into random conversation he's just like halfway through a sentence and he just chucks in a, oh wow oh yeah oh wow if I, if I were Woody Allen would I be writing these in I mean he Woody Allen n- notoriously gets his cast to improvise a lot of the script anyway. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I wonder whether Owen Wilson um, got e- even more wows in than he would otherwise <laughs> in this movie. I would hope so. <laughs> okay, so here's a rule for the podcast today. Every time you want to mm in agreement, instead, you must wow. <laughs> you, must o- you must Owen Wilson. Uh, <laughs> it's really interesting because I also think Woody Allen writes himself into his movies all the time, whether oh, yeah, or not he's playing sure. them. So... It's really funny to see Owen Wilson playing Woody Allen. Like it's the really whole movie, it's really dissonant. I was just saying to Jake um, earlier before we started recording because you see like um, Jesse Eisenberg in Cafe Society, who mm-hmm. feels like made to play Woody Allen. He he serves as a great yeah. surrogate there. But Owen Wilson is just yeah a very strange casting decision because he he's far too laid back to kind of capture the neuroses of of Woody Allen. I feel. I think he does it quite well though in this film i think he does a good job because you get that you get the sense that he spent a lot of time in hollywood he, he's very california yeah, um, yeah absolutely but he is like i think woody allen's neuroses can come off as annoying mm. sometimes yeah, it can yeah. come off as like too <laughs> heightened it's like too much 
So um, I do actually know that the, that Owen Wilson's character was originally from supposed to be from New York, and then it was changed <laughs> to Californian when yeah. Owen Wilson was cast, uh, which is good fun. That's um, really funny because Woody Allen's main characters are always from New York because Woody Allen's yeah. from New York. So. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, guess I absolutely. guess you get the screenwriter thing in then, don't you? If you mm. if you get him to move to the West Coast, um, yeah. but I can see why you might think that he, the character would be from New York, you know, yeah. with a, a number of artistic heroes and literary heroes, and there's that sort of intellectual East Coast thing. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Right, well, let's get into actually staging it. Any big ideas about it's a musical. how this would go? It's a musical. <laughs> it's a musical? Brilliant. It's, it's a musical. There's That's no so way this good. thing... Is it a musical? It's a fucking... Like, it's a musical. <laughs> okay, I, would you like to justify that? <laughs> I just feel like it's so heightened, like everything about mm. it. First of all, the, it, there's some time travel involved in this. Um, And I always find that musical theatre subjects uh, fare better when they are already heightened, when there is already um, a level of suspension of disbelief that the audience goes, okay, I don't mind him time traveling because I've just heard him singing about 10 minutes earlier. So it's all fine. And also the other thing about it is, is stylistic specificity. This being half set in the 1920s gives you an immediate stylistic reference point. So you can go straight in with your Cole Porter and your George Gershwin um, and, you know, other people who were all (laughs) gathered around in Paris at this time. Um, And you can you can play off the fact that at least half of the sound world of the movie um, can be 1920s. And then you can play around with what what that means for the other half and whether or not you you try to do two scores um, kind of like Sondheim does in Follies when he's got a load of the Follies numbers, um, but then also a load of the characters just seeing their inner thoughts and they are subtly, stylistically different. Or you can try and incorporate in some interesting way. Um, but for me, it just screams, it just screams musical theatre. Would you say maybe that, because I think one of the the downfalls for the movie for me personally was that I I didn't feel like 1920s Paris felt different enough from 2010 Paris. Would you, would you say that perhaps we could have it where it is a musical in the 1920s uh, in the style of uh, Cole Porter and, and Gershwin, uh, but in present day, it is uh, closer to a sort of domestic farce, which the scene in which uh, he is trying to... Hide the earrings. With the earrings, you know exactly yeah. the scene I'm talking about. Like, that is farce. Like, that scene is very... Yeah. And it, and it, I, I wonder if, if we can maybe even bring together these sort of two uh, feelings, two sort of theatrical forms, so that one half isn't musical. And maybe even there's a, a, a moment towards the end where uh, Gil... Uh, you know sings in the present day and it's that moment where he's fully disillusioned with the present day and he's going back to the 1920s i think that's really interesting i think um that i'd sort of had a similar a similar thought in that gill is obviously the only person who's sort of doing the traveling certainly initially until the weird until the weird um a person who's what hired to investigate oh the him. private investigator yeah, the, yeah. and <laughs> he goes back to like versailles and yeah. like it's, su- yeah, it's, it's such a woody so allen that. like surreal yeah. subplot um, but other than him he's the and and then you know with the um his love interest adriana, adriana. um who travels with him to the 1910s and earlier uh yeah he's the only person who does that and so i was thinking maybe maybe he 
sings, you know, maybe, maybe his, styles? yeah, maybe his style. He always sings in the 1920s style, but actually yeah. over the course of the movie, it gets, more, it modern. gets more and more modern, but I can, I can totally see the, um, you know, having, having the musical in the twenties. Um, or m- maybe he, maybe he's the only person who can sing in modern day. Yeah. And then yeah. you can play around with that form. Mm. I like that. I'm imagining lot. every time we time travel a kind of merrily, we roll along style. Like everyone, every every actor in the whole thing comes on stage and goes like, uh, you're going back in time. And, <laughs> and maybe, 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 the curse, maybe the curse child lighting effect, which we won't, spoiler if you've not seen it, but it's spectacular. Oh, yeah. I have not seen it. I've not seen it. That's a little teaser for you all. I mean, it doesn't need plugging and there's... Yeah. <laughs> but, <know>. also, <laughs> but also it's bad it's bad reading and excellent theater oh, that's yeah some, the, spe- no, the spectacle of that actually yeah. it's it's not a bad it's not a bad reference point for how to do spectacle theater really well and actually yeah. i think this would probably play into that a little bit another reason for it to be a big a big budget musical yeah I, and i definitely feel like the thing that again the film that the, the film was lacking i mean this was made on a budget of 17 million and it lacked spectacle all of the 1920 sequences took place in small rooms and it's just that i want to see like this grand ballroom i want to see this moment where these huge 1920s parties in paris are happening and i think that's something that you can really do i think it's not something woody allen does yeah he doesn't you know know how to do that yeah i think it's something you can really do on stage and again musical theater really lends itself to and then you can have the like i don't know if either of you saw an american in paris um on the west end but that was a really beautiful example of like something like a story that pre-exists um that is taken to the stage and turned into like a whole heightened experience. Um, and it was really beautiful in that way that like the set design and the dancing and the choreography and the costume was all informed by the film, but just like taken to another level in a way that only theater can do. And I think that's possible with this film. Yeah, absolutely. Because the aesthetic is so specific and clear. Yeah. And it could, de- it could definitely be, uh, you know, sort of like you were saying before, it can definitely be closer to the, the Baz Luhrmann, sort of Gatsby Moulin Rouge end quite easily just and this is this is you know what I was saying before just by it being set in the 20s it gives you the permission to do that to go crazy jazz age on everything and and to be opulent because that you know that is what he's he's missing about the 1920s that doesn't exist in his world at the moment yeah yeah let's take a step back for a second so so you guys are on the musical train and I, I have a feeling we'll end up going down that route for sure it Caleb, it seems like you were kind of thinking about a farce. Uh, did you want to say any more on that? Well, I mean, I, I wasn't in... I, there was a part of me that wanted the present day stuff to have the feel of a farce. I think all that stuff with uh, Paul and Carol and going you know, going around with the Versailles stuff, that's all like very like Woody Allen farce stuff. It, it's that exploration of like these middle class and upper middle class mannerisms and uh, just a real like skewering of like these kinds of people we all know these kinds of pseudo intellectuals and same with the parents as well who are these sort of yeah very wealthy you know the dad is a businessman and is like it's just like making a real joke out about who these people are and that scene with the pearl earrings is just so classic like it's such a domestic scene um but it's so heightened by the fact that they're all incredibly wealthy and they just don't care about anyone but themselves and the only one who 
does care about anyone but themselves is i guess is implied to be gil although he is very self-centered as well but he is completely in that moment obsessed with saving his own ass because he's got his wife's pearl earrings to give to another woman who lives in a completely different era um i think there's some real fun and comedy to be had in the ridiculousness of those situations and grounding them in uh something that feels more real than a musical i think would be be the way to draw out the comedy from those moments but i definitely don't think that 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 has to be mutually exclusive to a musical as well i think you can have these two forms at odds with each other just as the two periods are at odds with each other Mm. i was yeah i was just about to say the same thing that i think there's something inherently comedic about putting these two forms that are well musical theater is quite malleable in terms of what it can do it can achieve lots of different things so you can just make it funny um and farce, which is obviously entrenched in humour. I think it's really interesting to put two forms against each other as a way of learning more about... Because they both have like stock characters. They both have tropes within each other that you could translate from one form to another in a really cool way to reveal more about one character mm. than the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I was I was um, thinking that maybe... Just, just while you were talking, thinking that maybe you could double cast and you could Ooh. have Paul pop up um as mm. a different person in the musical and actually would... th- this is something we spoke about at at the time is that that the female love interest in the 20s could so easily be played by the same actress as the love interest in in the yeah. present day and that would be an interesting way of of actually working out what is going on in his mind and i don't think we should try and go down the rabbit hole of explaining what this weird time travel thing mm. is um but it certainly gives you gives you an insight into what he's projecting yeah. and what is real for I him. I would love for, just because, I think it's funny, I would love for the guy who plays Paul to also play Hemingway. That would be really good. Because they're both pedantic. hilarious yeah. in a specific way and pedantic. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. that would be really good. I do really like this idea of, of creating modern reflections in a kind of Peter Pan style way of, yes. the, of the past characters Very, yeah. because I think I got this idea I get this idea from it that it is in his head and and the way I justify to myself the fact that the 20s isn't that interesting in the film is that it's it's not the 20s it's what Owen Wilson's character thinks the 20s is and that's that's mm. why it's not so detailed and that that was my my only broad thought really was that, Sometimes we do films that really don't lend themselves to the theater sometimes we do sometimes we do films that like already plays and this mm. one for me the way it lends itself to the theater is just in the fact that like at no point does it really matter where we are yeah. there, there's no yeah. there's no scene yeah. and setting normally i make a list of settings in my little notebook and i write oh okay we've got to work out how we make you know a beach or a, or a big house or whatever but yeah. in this in this way we just we're, it doesn't matter we're just in rooms and that really lends itself to the theater but then if we're making this big spectacle musical we almost want to add in that aspect we want to add in these kind of big visual uh, setting so that we can have a sense of place um and yeah i wonder whether because i'm just thinking from a producing point of view i really like this idea of like when we're in the 2010s we're not musical and when we're in the past we are but then i worry about you know how do we justify hiring a full band and then only having them do stuff for half the time. Um, well, I think you make so, more out of the but, 1920s to do that, though. Don't right. You? So I was going to say, I wonder yeah. whether the 1920s is even played through. Yeah. So oh. like, there's never any talking in it. That would be really uh, cool. Uh, apart from, well, this is what I was kind of thinking when you were talking about character. Apart from, you could have um, when Gil was in the modern day he's the only person that can sing but when he is in the uh, 1920s he's the only person that can speak 
without singing. Nice. Um, so you get, he's a he's a a man of farce living in a musical and a man of musical living in a farce. And I think that could be a really fun contrast to play him off of every other character as well. To to um, yeah, to play with those archetypes um, even more in, in doing that as well. And um, just just a thing about uh, spectacle and, and place is I started doing some research into. Uh, the 1920s and Paris and the kind of people who were living there um, just to get a flavour because I know that there were so many musical voices both both American and Parisian that were around at the same time um, but there were some incredible characters that were left out of the movie because no one really knows who they are um, and mm. I think that maybe you know by doing a musical you could maybe some shed some light on these incredible characters. There was an amazing woman um, who was um, a black woman who came over from America and set up a big nightclub, the big nightclub to go to. Um, and she went by the name of Bricktop. Um, and she was uh, uh, just this incredible um, person who knew everybody um, That's the place that they go to. Yeah, Shea Bricktop. Oh, yeah, yeah when... for like four seconds, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just nodding, yeah. nodding along. But, <laughs> but she she just brought everyone together um, yeah. and was the main sort of focal point for all of these big party gatherings. Um, and this movie is not great on representation. Um, and I think you can't really put on a musical theatre piece now <laughs> 2021 yeah. without acknowledging that and to work out a way of either casting it differently or, or introducing characters that maybe have been left out of the limelight for whatever reason but i also think that because it's a fictional world that exists in gil Pender's head there's no reason why ernest hemingway can't be a different race yeah there's that's, no reason yeah. do you know what i mean there's no reason why characters can't be trans can't mm. be queer can't be do you know what i mean like because he's making it all up in his head you could hire actors who are of like a diverse experience well, and make it like something that he's making up. And also, you know, there were queer yeah. characters. I mean, Cole yeah. Porter is, is was famously. was famously gay, yeah. and he married. I mean, they sort of allude to it slightly. Oh, his wife is so lovely. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, one of the reasons he was thro throwing these lavish parties in Paris was in order to explore that. And mm. one of the reasons he was married to his wife was so that they could put on a front, so he could explore that. And you don't have to dive too much into that sort of thing, um, you know, in in this story, but, you know, you can at least showcase it. So. Yeah. Well, I think I think what all of this is aiming at, actually, is this idea that in the film, what it wants to do is say, oh, you know that guy you heard of from the past? He's here. And then we go, wow, like, oh, <laughs> right? But actually, that's just not... Like, it's just not that interesting other than from, like, a makeup point yes, of view, right? Yeah. Um, like, it does I mean, feel like I've... he's playing top trumps after all. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, but... shall we introduce what? Dali? Oh, it's, it's a game where you, you have a, you put the cards down and you've it's a collection of various items. So it could be celebrity top trumps, right. celebrities from the 20s top trumps. Um, I pull out Cole Porter and... You know, you you play Dali, and then and then I play Hemingway, and then can I just yeah. say that scene with Dali is one of my favorite scenes in any film of all it's time. Very good. It's like, great. It's so funny. It's I just also, think it's the height of comedy. I mean, it, it can also just so easily be a set piece song. As yeah. Well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. so look, my point was that in our musical version, what we can aim at is something entirely different. We can aim at introducing these celebrities or these people of note or these people of renown that maybe we've forgotten. And instead of introducing them and say, hey, look at this guy, isn't that amazing that we've 
made an actor pretend to be this guy we can say here's this person let me tell you about them yeah right yeah um a bit like i'm thinking of like how come from away like its focus is on moving you through quite quickly the this kind of uh plethora of people and telling you as briefly as it can in song their story and why their story is interesting yeah Yeah. and i think obviously without taking the focus is on the story of this writer and their their journey through whatever it is that the themes are (laughs) but 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 i think when it comes to the when it comes to the 20s and how we and how we can portray the 20s and how we can can play portray that era of person and and also and give the audience that sense of like well what is it about the 20s we should find so amazing because i feel like it's not like it's not something that's like universal um there's this really weird thing where like this the the woman from the 20s the the era that she like romanticizes is 20 years ago no, it's yeah that's it's not 40s, long enough the 1880s, ago. 1880s right oh I, oh I thought it was oh, I, I thought it was yeah. the 1900s oh okay fine fine but no, that, but I, I take could... your point it's not very long before is it in, in comparison no. yeah. but then they they are remembering the renaissance which was like 200 years before. I guess yeah. yeah I guess that's the theme of the movie it's like nobody who lives at a certain time thinks that the time they're living in is the best time yeah and everyone has has sort of false nostalgia for bygone eras even bygone eras they never experienced which we do now i mean you look at the sort of explosion of nostalgia for the 80s amongst people who never lived in the 80s but also it's like not to get to that's what culture is yeah it's like turning in a circular manner over and over again aesthetics and ideas that we have had that's what cultural reproduction is you start from a place where it comes from the fringes and it goes you know up through the echelons of society and it goes all the way up and then it gets to the point where it's overdone and then it goes back down again so you have and that takes time and that's this is Bourdieu and Jake knows I don't shut up about Bourdieu but um (laughs) it's but it's very like it's very basic sociology in that way so it makes sense that that these characters feel this because it's very well recorded in sociology that this is how culture functions um and it's a really good move maybe this is why I like it maybe it's a really good movie like in terms of exploring that cycle of cultural reproduction. Yeah. I, w- I would say, yeah. to, to leap on what you were saying, Jake, about the focus still being on Gil and his his journey of discovery as a writer, uh, I actually don't, <laughs> I don't know how much focus there really needs to be on him. Like his revelation, like you're saying, Ryder, is like, it's, it's not that great a revelation because we know about yeah. it. We've known about it for a long time. This is, this is, we know we all glorify the past, but none of us really care to know what that past would be. We wouldn't really want to live in it if we, if, if we were given the chance. I kind of, I would love to see this more as an exploration of the twenties of these figures of the twenties, but also mm. of their, what they were looking back on, what, what part of culture were they reproducing that came before them? And then, mm. then you give an opportunity towards the end for that moment of revelation for Gil, because it won't take long for him to figure it out. I don't think. I guess I just said that because of what we'd said about how, you know, he can sing in the place where no one else yeah. can sing and yeah, vice versa. Yeah. No, I, I know, I'm not saying you're wrong. Like obviously he's, he is still the protagonist, but I, I do think that there's an opportunity to go w- way beyond him because there's not that much learning he needs to do. I also think that his, him being the protagonist means that Rachel McAdams character is like really two dimensionally awful. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's just um, the worst. Yeah, two and, dimensions and, at best. <laughs> and, and actually <laughs> it would maybe be more interesting to watch his journey 
like him reflecting on his relationship with her. Maybe his relationship with her is actually a lot better than it comes across. Um, and and his reflection on what is important to him, both as a writer, but also in life. Um, and that is something that is explored across his journeys back to the 20s more so that you get more of a sense of, oh, he's actually discovered something about himself um, that he didn't already know. Yeah, I think I think the reason for McAdams being so 2D for me seems to be that the film doesn't want us to have a moral dilemma about owen wilson's character it doesn't yes. want us to to consider whether we like him or not it wants us to be on board with him and so in Which order good, for it to be okay good reason, good reason to cast owen wilson <laughs> right exactly right but but in order for that to be okay in order for for us to just get on board we can't have a moment where we go where we see him like not cheating on his wife but like flirting with another woman and we can't have a moment where we see that well, and, and then go, he does kiss another woman oh well. right yeah exactly exactly and and we can't and the, the idea the idea seems to be that it's like well if, if rachel mccallum's character is like like clearly horrible yeah then we don't we don't feel bad about seeing that but i feel like again like we don't we just don't need to do that yeah i've just had a mad idea that i've not run past anybody but i'm gonna just Go with it. This this podcast um, is the running pass. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> yes, you are correct. What if we gender swapped Gil and Inez? Mm, well, I'm right? here for that. Yeah. And wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> indeed. And the Gil character travels back in time, has the same motivations, whatever. Falls in love with a woman. Yeah. And realizes that they are either gay or bisexual so when they come back into their regular time they start a relationship with a parisian woman and have to leave their heterosexual other because they realize that actually they're queer and and i think it's also interesting because musical theater is inherently queer so there's something to be said there about like this person has an affinity to the to this um medium and to this music yeah. That is queer and camp that the people around them don't have because they are straight. And then they go back in time, they meet somebody who makes them realize that they are queer and then they come and then they come out of that experience realizing that they are queer and making significant changes to their life because they realize now that they're queer. Yeah, I mean I'd certainly if if we were going to do that, I'd certainly want to be making sure that the story we're telling is reflective of of real people's experiences yeah um and i i just don't have the experience to know whether that's the case from what we've yeah. said i think what is interesting about that is that we often look at this kind of social justice stuff as something that's new and what it does is that it gives mm. us the opportunity to go back in time and say hey cole porter was gay he was very obviously gay and he was doing that in his life there are other queer people in these times and in this life and paris is one of those places where that's always attracted people of all kind of kinds of you know backgrounds and sexual predilections that it's it could be really interesting to have them go to that place and that time as a way of not just discovering themselves but also for the audience to discover more about that time and not romanticize it as a time where oh things were straighter back then now we're talking about queer stuff all the time i think it's really nice and i think something that musical theater allows you to do is to layer multiple themes and not get too muddled because you can use things like m m musical motifs to I'm look i'm looking i'm looking at alex on the camera thinking help me to communicate those to communicate those kind of changes yeah. of okay now we're thinking about this again now we're thinking about this it's, it's here, a much more interesting journey for our, our central characters to go on as well i yeah. think as well what 
could be what's interesting about that like all those points you're making about the musical um is yeah very true and also that like the farce re- often relies so heavily on like the heterosexual relationships being the norm and so yeah. to have the the sort of revelation be i can't live in the past but also i'm going to break out of the the structure within the present is a really yeah, I mean, just a much more interesting like journey for our um, central characters to go on. And one that I think doesn't necessarily disrupt everything else that goes on in the story. Oh, absolutely, you yeah, know, yeah. That, that in terms of like solving the problem of making the, the protagonist more interesting while exploring what happens in the 20s and what happens in the now, it's a, it's a really great great way of making that, that person's journey more like complicated um, without it being contrived in any way, that it feels like a fairly organic process. I think, yeah, I, the, in the film for sure, his the journey of guilt is just very simple. No, nothing, mm. there's no real danger at any moment. Um, and the dilemma that is presented by, oh, I, th- I thought I wanted to marry this woman, but I, I have found this woman who lives in the past who I also fancy uh, is just a dilemma that's never really presented as a, a problem to us. So to present something that is is a natural, like, dramatic uh, struggle, there's a conflict within our central character is important. Yeah. I also think that the, the relationship of, of that guild to characters like Gertrude Stein mm. and to, you know, Bricktop, this person who, who no one, no one knows of. You, the, these are all les- lesbians that, that people don't even realize, you know, were lesbian or, or don't even recognize the name often. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that relationship, you know, that sort of, um, looking over the novel. Um, giving giving advice on the novel and then also pointing out yeah you know that's the big thing that Gertrude Stein does in this in this movie is is point out to him that his wife is having an affair with with Paul and um, because he's, he's obviously being very autobiographical in his in his novel yeah. um probably maybe maybe too autobiographical in his novel <laughs> if it's that obvious to Gertrude Stein in the 20s um <laughs> but you know having having that sort of mentor figure yeah. a woman to woman and a lesbian woman to lesbian woman would be you yeah. know, a lot more interesting than than her just pointing out that his his wife is I'm sleeping actually with wait, like, Paul. But this is this is just because I'm me and I like <laughs> I like seeing myself in things. But I'm thinking bisexual woman. Just 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 because I'm a bisexual yeah. woman, I'm like, oh, I want to see more bisexual women. Yeah, and also um, it avoids this thing of having to deal with you know why a relationship that we start the play with exists in the first place and all this kind of stuff. So I think that's yeah. That that yeah. someone goes and th- which is often the case with bisexual people that you go you spend a lot of your life thinking that you're straight until you realize that you're not yeah. and then you feel bad for being in the relationships that you've been in but it's not like the attraction doesn't exist it's it's just you don't know you you know you don't you don't know what the scope of your feelings of attraction are yet yeah to and to explore that through this I think would be really interesting and yeah and that setting of Paris in the nineteen twenties I like you. I've already said is is the perfect place to do that and yeah and to have that surrounded by there's often you know people like Scott Fitzgerald and stuff were criticizing how much stuff there is as well in the 1920s mm. and so to pair that moment of like self-revelation alongside just like there's also just loads of other distracting dazzling things uh, I think would be an interesting journey for our central character to work through uh, in yeah. the sort of musical section, for sure. That this is great. I'm trying to think what else uh, would we need to discuss to like 
actually uh, stage to actually think about, you know, what maybe in terms of settings. I mean, Jake mentioned that, you know, there's no sort of specific settings we need to stick to. So are, are there any particular settings we want to bring to life on stage? Um, I think an- anything that's that's automatically Parisian, yeah. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be a fool not to allude to... You know, if you can set anything anywhere, why why not set something in a, in a, next to a landmark? That I'm again thinking of that American in Paris production, just because the set design on that production was amazing. So I literally can't conceive of Paris on stage mm. in any other way now. Yeah. Um, they did this really cool thing where basically they brought like bits of what looked like bits of sort of massive plain white, almost like cardboard or something, and projected buildings onto them in forced perspective. Mm. I don't know if I'm like explaining that right. I'm yeah. not doing it justice, but um, what it meant is that in terms of actual set building, you didn't have to do much. You just had mm. to cut out the, these big certain shapes and then work with a with a graphic designer to m- create like specific looking buildings and things. I also think there's there's such a strong there's such a strong um, visual art sort of. N- narrative being alluded to lots of you know picasso mm. and dali um that you'd be there's there are things to draw upon should you wish to yeah um visually and from a visual aesthetic i think picasso actually did do some set designs um in his in his career for the for the paris opera i might be wrong you can wikipedia it <laughs> um but but there are you know you could absolutely play with with the Art Deco thing, for sure. Yeah. I um, mean, in terms of creating a very strong um, visual 1920s. What? Yeah, um, and what's great about what you're describing, Rada, is of being able to project onto these these uh, cut-out screens is we can project an old Paris with the yeah. sort of the, the colours and the vibrancy that comes with that and then the present-day Paris that is, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and you, can, you can switch between the two uh, immediately, um, which is... Yeah, perfect. The other thing that I am keen to talk about is like song placement, if it's going to be a musical. Yeah. It's like, sure. where do the songs go? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I was just about to start start us on that track, actually. I was just about to say what this is making me think of is uh, the fact that that kind of three and a half minute postcard montage right at the start of the film of just basically just pictures of Paris lends itself so squarely to an overture of <laughs> of some kind yeah 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 I guess that there are there are a couple of songs that uh, I thought about when during watching actually and <laughs> quite a lot of them are, are in modern day so I guess if it were if it were the farce it might be be rethought but he um he clearly he talks about Paris in the rain, right? At the very, very start. And then at the very end, he's on the bridge and in Paris and it's raining. So that, that, and it's just a nice name for a song. Um, but also if you're thinking about what, what is the big I want number? What is the big um, moment where our protagonist expresses what they want, why they don't have it now and how they're going to achieve it? Um, Paris in the rain seems to me like the place that you would, you would do that. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think there's an issue with doing, I I don't want to be so firm as to say you can't put any numbers in the far section. And I guess if we're doing it that Gil or, you know, whatever the character ends up being uh, is, is, uh, is the only person who can sing in the present day, then the I want number is perfect for that because yeah. the only person who's singing the I want number is the person who wants. Yeah. 
Um, and if they happen to be singing in a 1920s style before we know he or she is about to go back in time to the 1920s, it's nice foreshadowing as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, perfect, yeah. And then I guess the other the other song that I'm really keen on, which in this fast um, scenario wouldn't happen, but that's only because like Michael Sheen's character really, really does my head in. Um, he's just so pretentious. I think it's because we know we know a version of him, don't we? Everybody knows a version of that character who who pretends they know yes. more than they do about yeah, art life. and about music and about. Yeah. Well, life, I think what you'll find me. if you look at criticism in the world that <laughs> most people do. <laughs> I take that back. In my life, that person is Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, so you were going to give him a song? Was that was that? Yeah, that we were going to give him a song that was called "If I'm Not Mistaken." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well, if so his character good. is reflected in Hemingway, then maybe that's yeah. Benny, well, yes. That, and I guess that the great uh, the thing about maybe incorporating some musical elements in both is that you could do reprises of a song that exists in one world. You can do a reprise of it through the voice of another character in the second world, and, yes. and maybe more closely you know show that that um, well i mean maybe or maybe underscoring in one and song in the other i was gonna say Mm, we have this sort of like speech in which he goes on a tirade against a uh, museum curator or something about if i'm not mistaken (laughs) and then later on those words he was saying before get reflected in song in a reprise in in the 1920s or something yeah Yeah, brill i like both of those choices i we definitely have to do some kind of Big number when he first is transported into the 1920s. Big ensemble. No, this is something that we'd like to ask you because we came up against this. Okay, so there's a car, a 19. There's a yeah. car from the 1920s on stage. <laughs> yeah. How yes. do we do that? We'll do, why don't we just leave it to our? Well, <laughs> no, this is so we're I, talking to. I, I the 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 thing I kind of want to keep actually is even though I made that joke about Marilee earlier is actually I really like this idea that it, the film doesn't dwell on the time travel. It doesn't go, mm. how do we get here? You know, there's even one moment where he's in, when he's in 1880, they don't, he doesn't go, right, now how do I get back? It just cuts and he's back he's in back. Stein's yeah. office. <laughs> and it's like, they make, they make but, quite a big thing of the horse and, horse and cart, don't they? Yeah, yeah that's true. But, but, in the, but, what I'm, but like when the car first comes on, like there's no like, there's no like, and like something mm. shimmers and and we we hear a noise or like the car just pulls up and then he's in 1920s and actually i really like the fact that he's just suddenly there yeah. and like and it yeah. just doesn't make any sense because and i think that's because i think if i'm interpreting the film correctly the idea is that he doesn't maybe i don't know whether he actually time travels but like it's in his head in some way either way it right? doesn't matter it, whether he time travels yeah. or not yeah. we're not meant to care about the mechanics of the universe he just and so it. i almost don't want to give that a fanfare i almost want to maybe yeah. just like or maybe a fanfare but literally a fanfare in the sense of like and then the music comes in and suddenly yeah. we're in 1920s yeah. i mean yeah. we also have we also have the 12 chimes of the bell don't we which is which is in, oh, intrinsically dr- dramatic in yeah peter pan, peter pan, again. <laughs> peter pan i mean i think one way you could do it to remove the car is is potentially he's he's wondering about paris and we have either some kind of psych or like curtains come down as he is wandering about Paris and he's on the front of the stage and then even if you actually even if you did it with actual like curtains curtains come down on the front of the stage and he's just wandering and then someone just peeks from round behind the curtain and says oh come here come here come see this come here mm. and then like you pull that. back the curtains and it's we're in the 1920s that is very Brechtian <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> 
Well, yeah, but I think it would be, again, I think it would fully embrace this idea that it doesn't matter how he gets to the 1920s. It doesn't yeah. matter how he gets back yeah, to the Yeah, it's not sci-fi, yeah. No, he can just yeah, drop Yeah, exactly, in. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also like, so going back to what you said, Jake, about someone was talking about how this is a time of, like, excess in history, right? Yeah. Um, and how that really lends itself to musical theatre. But I, what I also like is that the 1920s were a time that were post-pandemic. Um, <laughs> and we are hopefully soon about to be post-pandemic. That I like the idea of putting something like this on that has this amount of like excess and like craziness and happiness and wealth. Um, not that any of us as artists will have any wealth. <laughs> post-pandemic a hundred years later. I just think that it's a, very, it's, it's like a, a, I think it's a lovely idea. Yeah. It was immediately yeah. followed by a financial crash. Maybe we, we, we weren't hopeful. <laughs> we weren't hoping too hard for it. That well, we thing I was saying before about cultural reproduction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I think that's really nice and, and really reflective uh, and would be a really good way to ground it in now in a way that is, that, yeah, that it doesn't feel like it's 2011, which is when the film is set. Because also the other thing I guess I was going to say is that the film is set what is now 10 years ago. You know, yeah. the present day in the film is 10 years ago. You know, technology has changed since then and the idea that somebody would be walking around the streets of Paris without a charged phone in their pocket seems kind of mad to me. So then it's like, what, what happened? Like, if you moved it to now... It would be like, oh, then where is this phone? But if you kept it in 2010, it would be like, why is it set in 2010 and not now? Because I kind of think it was anymore. a bit. I kind of think it was a bit strange not to have a phone in 2011. I think. Yet, I like. think. The, I think the phone <laughs> thing feels like a character thing because definitely as well. Like he goes back to the 1920s, but he doesn't like. He doesn't ever go like, oh, I know about this thing that's going to happen in the future or whatever. There's no. He also has irony. has printouts of his novel that he's currently working on, which I don't. I don't think you'd necessarily, given the number of changes he was clearly making in order to, with Gertrude Stein, he, where was he print? Where was he printing he's, his? He's incredibly <laughs> wealthy. He can just go and get it printed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's in a posh hotel. They have you don't, you don't, Do you see him on a laptop at any point typing? No, away? We, we, no. Never no, we, we never see him write. Novel. Novel. No. We never <laughs> see him write. <laughs> being a writer. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really strange. I, I'm interested. I, I'm fascinated by this Peter Pan reflexivity thing. I'm interested to hear more about which characters in the modern age that are in the film might be reflected in some of these celebrities mm. from the past. Mm. So we've done Paul and uh, Hemingway. Paul and Paul and Hemingway. Uh, I, who might be? Who might be Fitzgerald? Who might be? <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about Zelda and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Did Zelda have affairs? I can't remember. I don't know the history really. Did he have affairs? I think he had affairs. Because I think it, we need we need a, we need an Ines counterpart, and it, it would make sense for our Ines to be. Um, kind of like the like the um Scott like the Fitzgeralds um in terms of like prominence in the plot. So yeah. that that seems to me like that there, there might be something interesting there by having the Ines character playing one of one of the Fitzgeralds. Well, if we've gender their marriage was swapped. plagued by wild drinking, infidelity, and bitter recriminations. Says I mean oh, wow. Wikipedia. So we'll, let's let's go with that. Yeah, if, <laughs> I mean if we, if we've gender swapped, then the Ines character could definitely be Scott Fitzgerald. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, maybe even Carol, the Carol character could be Zelda Fitzgerald or, you know, but also yeah. like we said as well, like, I think to an extent this casting, uh, the casting of the gender of people in the past doesn't have to be the same as well. So it, they could be 
uh, yeah, a, a male character in the present, but then they are playing a who was historically a female character or, you know, the other way around, vice versa. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think there's something you could do there where we intertwine those couples again in the past as we did in, in the present. I think maybe like the the mum of uh, Inez could be uh, Gertrude Stein and the dad could be Pablo Picasso or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah I'm just thinking there's actually loads of celebrities. I, the, the, there's the bit where T.S. Eliot just talks, but we never see <laughs> yeah. him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, that's another moment where it's just like, oh, come here. And he's saying, I'm Tom Elliott. He's like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's Tom. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> Maybe I'll, we can I'll just. get in the car. I'll get in the car. <laughs> Maybe we can just like walk past like a busker playing like memory or something from cats. And then that busker is T.S. Eliot later. Because so many buskers, oh uh, they immediately go to cats for stuff to do on the yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I do think there are obviously characters who just won't have a counterpart in the present day because there aren't as many characters in the present day. Um, mm. But even like the museum guide lady that helps him translate the book could have a counterpart uh in 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 the past there's i I guess as well like there is a certain sort of 1920s ensemble uh in the film that would not necessarily find a a home in the present day i mean we see people wandering about and stuff on the streets but i think that that Mm. wouldn't necessarily need to be reflected in these big set pieces of people walking around on the streets of paris in the present day could something more be made of this um slightly throwaway uh investigative character Oh, he's having an affair. Follow him into the 20s. Because I think it's maybe put in there to try and raise the stakes. I mean, yes. Or just to play the gag of him going back way further in time than he intended to. Well, it's exactly that. It feels like it's picked up the stake. It's like someone literally raises a stake in the air to stab and then just chucks it like as far away as possible. Because then we like we see him like follow him into the cab. I think that's the T.S. Yeah. Eliot scene. And then we never see him until the end of the movie. <laughs> I do wonder if there was like maybe a longer like first draft in which they made more of that potentially. Because this is only 90, yeah. 90 minutes or something as a film. Definitely putting it on stage. We would it's quite it a good way of, of, oh no, he might he might get caught. Um, it's quite yeah. it's quite a good way of, of getting an audience to, to feel the drama- dramatic pull. Particularly once you're over the halfway point of the movie where it's like, what what is actually happening here he's just going back and back and forward in time a couple of times what wh- where is the yeah. forward momentum yeah, yeah. Monsieur, definitely... have you have you banged the rights i have caught you traveling to the past <laughs> definitely how i felt was that yeah there was a sense of a lack of just any real danger for the character there didn't seem to yeah. be any repercussions for going into the past or coming back to the present yeah. so yeah. yeah introducing more of that would be useful on stage. a massive issue i had was the fact that he seemed to for the after it happened the first time he seemed like absolutely certain it would happen the next night and i was like i don't understand <laughs> what has indicated this to you sorry go on Rod. <laughs> No, I forgot what I was going to say because that's such a good point and I yeah. never considered it before. I mean, he, was also dr- he was also very drunk. Oh, he was, yeah. he was quite drunk. Yeah. So it's like, you just put that off as... as Hallucination. Know. Yeah, or yeah. just... Yeah. When he said that as well, like I thought it was going to be that he, he had to go and get quite drunk to travel back to the 1920s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was going to be a real nice it, little it, detail. But. It does miss the whole like Tim Allen and the Santa Claus thing mm. of like... 
this can't possibly be real. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to try and get on with my life. Yes. It misses yeah. that whole act, which to be fair is fine. I, I don't, those bits I'm are boring. I'm glad, yeah. <laughs> it would yeah. get very confusing, wouldn't it? Yeah. If, if you actually tried to explain the mechanics of the time travel and yeah. why it was happening. and <laughs> Especially if it was Owen Wilson as a, as a Woody Allen surrogate trying to explain it as well. Yeah. In the way no, it. wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Uh, is there, what else is there? to talk about i feel like we've covered most of the basis of that first initial conversation on uh, on how you would begin to stage this there's obviously yeah. lots of details to work out lots of musical numbers to write lots of uh get yeah. cracking get cracking <laughs> yeah um, we've said we've said lots and almost nothing at all at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is kind of like the movie right yeah <laughs> lovely how reflective um <laughs> Are there any other thoughts people had before we wrap up? If not, I feel like we're there, right? I have just had an idea that we do not have time to now explore. But it would be, <laughs> it would be like an, an audio experience and you would walk around Paris. Like, wow. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wow. love that. <laughs> um, well, but, well, yeah, I didn't even do that. That's such a missed opportunity. <laughs> oh, damn it. Well, except, except that, like, other than that, I don't know what, it's it's like, like our love actually VR experience, but actually maybe a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know because there's a lot, especially in lockdown. There's been a lot of these kind of like walking around city kind of performances, mm. and you kind of go and look at things and that kind of stuff. But but yeah, I, I, it, it's the kind of thing where it it could be really interesting, but it could also be really like okay, yeah, but uh, but it's not 1920. It's yeah, and also on. and also like like you said that there aren't any specific locations in the movie so yeah. it's not yes. it's not even yeah. as if you would be going oh and now we're going to that fa- to that scene where it's set in, yeah. you know under the Eiffel you'd Tower you'd have to like, make it nope. more about yeah. Paris because yeah. in our discussion in this hour we've talked a lot about how it's you have we've made it more about the 20s yes yeah. and to some extent Paris because that's where those people were but really more about the 20s yeah yeah we haven't really talked that much about apart from these kind of like set discussions about how we'd make it about Paris and i think that's kind of because like what? What is in the British cultural zeitgeist about Paris? It's the romantic. Eiffel the Eiffel Tower, some padlocks on a bridge. Lame is. <laughs> I mean, and like also, I guess what what this and nostalgia, right? That's nostalgia. It's sort of, yeah, yeah. It's sort of mm. baked into this movie. Is that yes, the the reason that everyone was in Paris must have had something to do with Paris, but it also yeah. had a lot to do with the fact that everyone else was there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I also the other thing as well is if even if you tried to tie the story to the landmarks in Paris, everything in Paris is so far away from each other. So you can <laughs> yeah. walk it. You would have to do the yeah. metro, and then you really lose some yeah. of that nineteen. Or get a nineteen twenties. Get a nineteen twenties car everywhere. We'll do it. That's it. You you hire a nineteen twenties car for two hours, and then they they stick and in... and one actor playing Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we bring it to an end there then? Let's we've, we've picked Let's up a couple up. of ideas that that we could have considered, but we haven't. Uh, well, we have considered them, but we've not picked them up. Uh, we've come up with a really cool sort of musical farce thing that's going on. And yeah, I think this would be really fun. I think this is like something that, that, that would be really exciting. And that is as much as we aim for here. And yeah, Rodder and Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, have you guys got anything thank coming up um, at the moment? This is just so <laughs> Yeah, look look at the time of release, and then you'll you'll be able to guess our answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're very much locked down, yeah. so there's we're nothing nothing happening. To, we're just looking forward to haircuts. That's yeah. what we've got coming up eventually. Oh my gosh, I really. Um, I, I am writing a few things, so 
you know. We'll look well, Googling his name every well, now. Well, this is, if where twenty twenty two. If if you are writing things, producing things, where can we look out for those? Where can we find you both? Um, Alex is at Alex Beecher. Yeah, it's just my name. I have such a rare name that my name is just my Twitter handle and my well. Instagram handle. How do we spell yeah. that rare name? Ah, so it's Alex, spelt the usual way, and then Beechin, spelt B-E-E-T-S-C-H-E-N. Lovely. And uh, Alex, do you want to tell us where Rodder is? In that, <laughs> oh, yeah, in yeah, that cutesy that. couple I, I, way that you're doing I, I, that? I'm not sure I've memorized her Twitter handle yeah, or her Instagram. Between the two of us, I'm definitely the the social media person. You're definitely I'm the on... producer. Between the two <laughs> <of you. laughs> It's so true. We're both massively introverted, but Alex can afford to be introverted and I just can't. <laughs> in a professional capacity i am on both twitter and instagram at r-a-d-h-a-k-k-a-a yeah come find me i tweet a lot about disney and nice. i post a lot of pictures of myself that alex has taken on instagram um, yeah i was completely completely surprised you didn't pick a disney film for this considering how how into disney you are but another I'm also time, surprised, perhaps. but also most of the good ones have already been turned into musicals yeah and there's a frustration with disney mm. theatrical which we We'll yeah, into here. No, time and also that's a whole other podcast. Hot, and that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, Caleb, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at, uh, at Caleb Lebster, C A L E B L E B S T E R. So yeah, come check out. I've been tweeting a lot wow. about video games recently. So if that's of interest. Um, and on Letterboxd, you... you can... Sorry, you go. No, I was just wondering if had anyone um, done a video game adaptation for stage before. We haven't. This. You'll have to come mm. back and we'll do a video Absolutely game. Absolutely should do that. Have ideas. Yeah. 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 yeah, we'll have you back. We'll work out. We'll take <laughs> a, a video game and we'll have a crack at putting that on stage. <laughs> Jake, where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Jake Reesh. That's J-A-K-E-R-E-E. SH and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast and we are Maybe You Like It Productions. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It, that's with the letter U, or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions, that's with the word U. Or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. And if you did enjoy this episode or any of our episodes, then please do give us a rate uh, or leave us a review on it wherever you get your podcasts and share us around with your friends so that more people can find us and enjoy our lovely stagings. Um, and otherwise... Maybe like that. Maybe you didn't. Wow. Let's just go put that in for the end. People are like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>